Section twenty seven of Rudder Grange. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rudder Grange by Frank R. Stockton. Chapter fourteen Pomona Takes a Bridal Trip. Part one. Our life at Rudder Grange seemed to be in no way materially changed by my becoming a vestryman. The cow gave about as much milk as before, and the hens laid the usual number of eggs. Euphemia went to church with a little more of an air, perhaps, but as the wardens were never absent, and I was never, therefore, called upon to assist in taking up the collection, her sense of my position was not inordinately manifested. For a year or two, indeed, there was no radical change in anything about Rudder Grange, except in Pomona. In her there was a change. She grew up. She performed this feat quite suddenly. She was a young girl when she first came to us, and we had never considered her as anything else, when one evening she had a young man to see her. Then we knew she had grown up. We made no objections to her visitors. She had several from time to time. For, said Euphemia, suppose my parents had objected to your visits. I could not consider the mere possibility of anything like this, and we gave Pomona all the ordinary opportunities for entertaining her visitors. To tell the truth, I think we gave her more than the ordinary opportunities. I know that Euphemia would wait on herself to almost any extent, rather than call upon Pomona when the latter was entertaining an evening visitor in the kitchen or on the back porch. Suppose my mother, she once remarked, in answer to a mild remonstrance from me in regard to a circumstance of this nature, suppose my mother had rushed into our presence when we were plighting our vows, and had told me to go down into the cellar and crack ice. It was of no use to talk to Euphemia on such subjects. She always had an answer ready. "'You don't want Pomona to go off and be married, do you?' I asked, one day, as she was putting up some new muslin curtains in the kitchen. "'You seem to be helping her to do this all you can, and yet I don't know where on earth you will get another girl who will suit you so well.' "'I don't know either,' replied Euphemia, with a tack in her mouth, "'and I'm sure I don't want her to go.' but neither do I want winter to come, or to have to wear spectacles, but I suppose both of these things will happen, whether I like it or not. For some time after this Pomona had very little company, and we began to think that there was no danger of any present matrimonial engagement on her part, a thought which was very gratifying to us, although we did not wish in any way to interfere with her prospects, when one afternoon she quietly went up into the village and was married. Her husband was a tall young fellow, a son of a farmer in the county, who had occasionally been to see her, but whom she must have frequently met on her afternoons out. When Pomona came home and told us this news, we were certainly well surprised. "'What on earth are we to do for a girl?' cried Euphemia. "'You're to have me until you can get another one,' said Pomona quietly. "'I hope you don't think I'd go away and leave you without anybody.' "'But a wife ought to go to her husband,' said Euphemia, "'especially so recent a bride. "'Why didn't you let me know all about it? "'I would have helped to fit you out. "'We would have given you the nicest kind of little wedding.' "'I know that,' said Pomona. "'You're just good enough. "'But I didn't want to put you to all that trouble, "'right in preserving time, too. "'And he wanted it quiet, for he's awful backward about shows. "'And as I'm to go and live with his folks, "'at least in a little house on the farm,' I might as well stay here as anywhere, even if I didn't want to, for I can't go there till after frost. Why not? I asked. The chills and fever, said she. They have it awful down in that valley. Why, he had a chill while we was being married right at the bridal altar. 
"'You don't say so!' exclaimed Euphemia. "'How dreadful!' "'Yes, indeed,' said Pomona. "'He must have forgot it was his chill day, and he didn't take his queenine, and so it came on him just as he was a-promisin' to love and protect. But he stuck it out at the minister's house, and walked home by hisself to finish his chill.' "'And you didn't go with him?' cried Euphemia, indignantly. "'He said no. It was better thus. He felt it weren't the right thing to mingle the auger with his marriage vows. He promised to take sixteen grains to-morrow, and so I came away.' He'll be all right in a month or so, and then we'll go and keep house. You see, it ain't likely I could help him any by going there and getting it myself. Pomona, said Euphemia, this is dreadful. You ought to go and take a bridal tour and get him rid of those fearful chills. I never thought of that, said Pomona, her face lighting up wonderfully. Now that Euphemia had fallen upon this happy idea, she never dropped it until she had made all the necessary plans, and had put them into execution. In the course of a week she had engaged another servant, and had started Pomona and her servant off on a bridal tour, stipulating nothing but that they should take plenty of quinine in their trunk. It was about three weeks after this, and Euphemia and I were sitting on our front steps. I had come home early, and we had been potting some of the tenderest plants, when Pomona walked in at the gate. She looked well, and had on a very bright new dress. Euphemia noticed this the moment she came in. We welcomed her warmly, for we felt a great interest in this girl, who had grown up in our family and under our care. "'Have you had your bridal trip?' asked Euphemia. "'Oh, yes,' said Pomona. "'It's all over and done with, and we're settled in our house.' "'Well, sit right down here on the steps and tell us about it,' said Euphemia, in a glow of delightful expectancy, and Pomona, nothing loth, sat down and told her tell. "'You see,' said she, untying her bonnet-strings, to give an easier movement to her chin, we didn't say where we was goin' when we started out, for the truth was we didn't know. We couldn't afford to take no big trip, and yet we wanted to do the thing up just as right as we could, seein' as you had your heart set on it, and as we had too, for that matter. Niagara Fall was what I wanted, but he said that it cost so much to see the sights there that he hadn't money to spare to take us there and pay for all the sightseeing too. We might go, he said, without seeing the sights, or if there was any way of seeing the sights without going, that might do, but he couldn't do both. So we gave that up, and after thinking a good deal, we agreed to go to some other falls, which might come cheaper, and may be just as good to begin on. So we thought of Passiac Falls, up to Patterson, and we went there, and took a room at a little hotel, and walked over to the falls. But they wasn't no good after all, for there wasn't no water running over them. There was rocks and precipices, and direful depths, and everything for a good falls, except water, and that was all being used at the mills. Well, Miguel, says I, this is about as nice a place for a falls as ever I see, but— Miguel, cried Euphemia, is that your husband's name? End of section 27